Hey, everyone. This is Laren Flint and Ed Hat. Hi. We're here, and our passage is in Daniel 4, 28 through 37. We're going to start by reading that from the NIV. So all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one could hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to the throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Wow. So I don't know, Laren, if you chose this verse or if this verse chose you, but what, what kind of um, stirred in you that said, hey, let's do this? I, I think there are some stories in Scripture that seem terrifically powerful because of how they seem to illustrate either certain virtues or certain sins unencumbered by other factors or noises. Uh, for instance, there's something about Mary anointing Jesus' feet that highlights, at least to me, raw devotion to Christ in a way that's so humbling and so convicting and so pure. Or how the story of Cain and Abel displays raw jealousy, or how the account of David and Bathsheba highlights adultery. Uh, in my opinion, there's something here in the account of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling, you might call him Neb here and there as we talk about him, in chapter 4, um, that exposes pride in a very convicting and stark way. Um, after all, in a, in a purely human sense, if anyone could get away with pride, it'd be the monarch of the civilized world, right? Yeah, sure. So, you know, differentiate between, you know, like our societal meaning of pride, you know, like I'm proud of my son for doing this or whatever, versus like the sin of pride. Um, you know, you and I have talked about pride and that it's the universal sin. Right. Everyone struggles with it, right? I mm -hmm. mean... Um, it's not a matter of if, but it's more a matter of what type, you know. So what types of different pride could we be struggling with and maybe not even be aware of it? As a child, I, I thought of pride mostly in terms of like a, a strutting athlete um, with his chest puffed out or a corporate CEO with his nose in the air tolerating a little people, you know. And certainly arrogance and boasting are obvious types of pride, but there's also self-pity, uh, entitlement, impatience, uh, self-centeredness, focus on reputation or image, 
uh, selfishness, for example. You know, even as you were going through those examples, I was thinking, oh my gosh, um, uh, I've been struggling with impatience and the Lord's really mm. been working on me with that. And at first I didn't see that as pride. And I, you know, I was first convicted of pride back when I was 34 years old. I was 10 years into my marriage. If you were to ask people about me back then, they would have likely told you that I was a great guy. And I probably would have agreed. <laughs> right. You <know>? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, I was blind to my pride. I, I saw myself as this hardworking guy who went on weekly dates with my wife, was always there for my kids. Um, it wasn't until I found myself alone in an apartment from a marital separation that mm. I was broken. Mm -hmm. um, I could see then that I was arrogant, um, self-centered. My pride had loved me to be very critical and controlling with my wife, uh, sharpen my defenses, my rightness. I was filled with all these high expectations, not only for myself, mm -hmm. but for my, my wife and my kids. Mm -hmm. And all this pride had a devastating effect on my relationships, um, especially in my marriage and with my two sons. I think my pride was more hidden, maybe. Mm -hmm. Not less, uh, just more hidden. In many ways, I grew up with very little self-confidence or self-worth. So probably on the outside, it may have looked like I didn't struggle with pride. But I really couldn't take correction without arguing or trying to prove myself right. I almost always competed with others internally or externally. I hated it when it, someone could best me athletically or academically. And I also struggled with self-pity when I felt wronged. So, you know, as you talk about those things, again, I'm, I'm wondering for our listeners, you know, what types of pride were highlighted for you? And have you ever acknowledged your pride before? I think, you know, most Christians realize that there's this thing called the sin of pride out there, you know, that it's wrong. And I think most of them would have a general feel for what it is. But I find that pride can be a little bit difficult to define. Uh, how would you define pride, Ed? Yeah. So, you know, here's what I came up kind of more out of my experience an often hidden or unrecognized overestimation of one's abilities, performance, or self-image, physically, intellectually, or spiritually. One that feels like so right, but really is based on lies. Mm -hmm. So given that definition, Larry, and kind of what stuck out, you know, for you about the pride in this passage? I see, I'm going to kind of artificially break it up into two manifestations of pride uh, in verse 30. The second one, I think, is more obvious. Nebuchadnezzar made choices for his own glory. Uh, the NIV reads, for the glory of my majesty. Self-promotion or self-exaltation, even if it's not in the egregious form of creating an idol to worship, like in chapter 3, that's a clear manifestation of pride, right? Sure. I could be wrong, but I think this type of pride is easier probably to identify. But the first one, I think, is a little more subtle. It involves the phrase, by my mighty power. Nebuchadnezzar became hardened, uh, blinded enough that he believed that it was he who had built Babylon's greatness by his own power. This brings me to what I feel like is an important discernment. Pride almost always involves believing lies. Mm. Okay, Laren, so I'm seeing some parallels here between my story and Neb's. Um, you know, we both exercised our free will and our choices, our efforts, Mm -hmm. And these did, you know, seem to bring some good things that everyone could see. I mean, was Neb supposed to pretend that his efforts didn't play any role in the construction of Babylon or that his choices didn't matter? This was kind of tough for me to sort out. How, how can we tell when we're being prideful? And then, you know, you said pride almost, involve, almost always involves believing a lie. So 
What is the lie that Neb and I had believed? Um, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I think there's a little bit of the spirit of Proverbs 16.9 and answer here. I, I think there's a distinction and an important one between acknowledging our effort or our choices versus taking credit for the result. They're not the same thing. We could ask ourselves, how could somebody like Nebuchadnezzar, who was f- fully warned that the bridge was out mm, ahead, right. you know, by Daniel, still blunder right over the cliff? Uh, it seems it seems impossibly foolish, even though we're told that there's a time gap. This was not a dumb guy. However, pride is blinding. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had reached a point where his pride had hardened his heart and duped him. Mm-hmm. I think he took a half truth that he had he had put his energy and intentionality into governing a nation. And mixed it with a lie of pride to create the conclusion that he had built Babylon by his own strength. You see that? Oh, sure. Um, We are not creators or mini-gods. There's a very real place in the mathematical equation between our investments on one side and success coming out the tube on the other. It's not, quote, our efforts and good choices plus nothing equals success. In a very real way, we need God's involvement for our efforts to find purchase and become something good, spiritually or practically. We, we cannot make success happen through our might and power. God dictates whether or not our choices find traction and our efforts come to fruition. Mm, that's good. So if pride often involves some falsehood in our thinking or belief, you know, some lie, um, what does kind of the flip side look like then with humility? I grew up, I don't know about you, I grew up in a Christian culture where those around me acted almost self-effacing or self-degrading to try to walk out humility. They tried to be humble by lowballing their abilities or achievements, uh, maybe even disguising them or withholding information. Mm. You know, for instance, if somebody was superbly intelligent with multiple degrees, he or she would often cloak their intelligence, often claiming they were nothing special. And This certainly felt more humble than outright boasting or self-promoting, but something felt a little wrong about that. Um, I was challenged years ago by a pastoral counselor named John Regeer to look at humility as fundamentally truth-telling, both to ourselves and others. And I've tested this over the years, and I have yet to find a serious flaw with that definition. Mm, That's good. I view humility as accurately including God in the reality of our choices and success. I love the example of Daniel himself in chapter 2, 27 through 30. I'm not going to take the time to read this now, but it's, it's a beautiful portrayal of humility. But when we look at Nebuchadnezzar's arrogant statement in, in our passage in chapter 4, it was literally not accurate for him to claim that he had built Babylon by his mighty power. What would the full truth be? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, God provided him with physical and human resources to do that. Not only that, you know, God strengthened him and placed him in a position of success. So why don't we take a minute here just to give some quick examples of humility as a form of truth-telling? Yeah, sure. Um, For instance, if God enables us to do well in this podcast, if it it touches people's hearts, and let's say somebody tells us about that. We could simply tell the truth about it, something simple like, you know, thank you so much, God helped us. How about uh, if one of your patients sees you at Meyer after you referred them to a specialist, and they say to you, Dr. Hat, that referral saved my life. You saved my life. Thank you. Uh, how could you respond to that humbly and in truth? Uh, and I do see my patients at right. Meyers from time to time. <laughs> right. But anyways... Um, yeah, no, I would. I think I would just say, you know, you're welcome. Uh, I'm grateful that things worked out well for you. And then I might say something like, hey, it's clear that God's hand was on your situation. So, yeah. so you know, these are a couple of simple examples of just truth-telling. Um, 
you know, that God's involved in our lives. Um, but our first step towards humility involves acknowledging our own pride. Pride is truly the universal sin. Every Christian struggles with it. So why don't we just take 10 seconds before we pray uh, for the Holy Spirit to reveal to our hearts where we can repent for our own pride. And then maybe in your own time with God that you can just acknowledge that, you know, uh, where you've gone astray. God, um, Ed and I come before you, and not as self-made men, but men who truly need you, not just here and there in our life. We need you daily, minute by minute. God, you're that involved. You're that good. And thank you for helping us to make the choices that we've made that are good, that are lasting, that are fruitful. Please keep working in our hearts and in the listeners' hearts to believe the truth about your involvement, how we need your blessing, we need your provision for our choices to find traction, for us to build a life, build a house, build a family, build a marriage. God, we do need you. Uh, protect us from the evil one. Protect us from ourselves. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have a blessed day.